Goobobsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba the news. Goobobsessed episode 507 is recorded live September 2nd, 2021. Back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. And I do love this time of year. I have to say it's probably one of my favorites. Sometimes I just don't know. So welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. We're joining me this week. We have Mac the Dive Mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I'm glad to be here. It's gone. That's why why my tradition is uh, July 1st, you tell everybody summer's over because it's true and it's going to (laughs) happen. That's that's what it feels like. I have... uh, I'm still not used to seeing kids go to school before leaving. But I'm hoping that maybe next year it brings summer earlier. Is that possible? So I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We have... Aaron and Dave and Eric all joining us, so much appreciated. And uh, I see we have a few other people uh, showing up in the stream. So we have recently experimented going to YouTube. We did it at the beginning of the year, and we almost act like we know what we're doing, which means we're certainly destined to fail. <laughs> it's It's been a, a, a much rougher road than I would have expected as we got started on this. But, you know, I guess that's just how things happen. You know, if everything was easy, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, well, thank you everybody who's been downloading or, or watching online. Um, we certainly appreciate your support. We're getting to that time of the year, and usually we do this at the end of the episode, but sometimes you got to bring it forward. If you're enjoying the show and wish to help out and you're in a position where you can, uh, we'd certainly appreciate it. Go to www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, click on any of the episodes in the right column. There'll be a link to Patreon. Uh, or you can go on Patreon and, and search for Scuba Obsessed. Or probably like Patreon forward slash Scuba Obsessed. But I guess I should look at that before I say so. In, in any amount. So it's kind of a value for value thing. If you're enjoying the program, whatever value it brings to you, then uh, go ahead and, and put that in, and that keeps us on the air. In the falls, when we renew all our agreements with our hosting providers, and it's quite a big chunk of money all at one time, and it would be nice to kind of get that out of the way. So your support. And I'd like to thank everybody who has been supporting. We have quite a number of supporters. And uh, one thing I do owe everybody is trying to get these episodes edited early. I had to jump ahead, and we recorded Max, not Max, Jim Schultz's was on a couple of weeks ago, so I rushed to get that done. But even that was a challenge. We learned some things. So hopefully, if you haven't watched that episode, go back. It was one that, because I was in all the technical mess trying to get it to work, it was kind of tough, and I didn't get to enjoy it. And even editing it, I didn't get to enjoy it. But I've gone back and watched it, and it it actually didn't turn out too bad. So if you like seeing side-scan sonars, learning a little bit about wrecks, and, and that's the thing, is when I'm recording it's like i'm not i'm doing so much i can't really absorb what's there so i get stuff listening it going did i did somebody say that or did i say that it's 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 interesting the things you can pick up it was quite unique for him finding that anchor Mm -hmm. it's one of those items when you got a bump on the bottom yeah it's always worth checking out so let's go so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news before we do a New Year's special. <laughs> and the first one we have up is our old favorite standby. It seems like uh, we've been doing this one for two, three years now. Uh, two anyway. Because yeah, we had this one, and you remember the Costa Concordia? That was another one where we did, for it seemed like, for years. Yeah. 
So what we're referring to is this, what's remaining, the one of the final sections of the Golden Ray. This is a file photo they got there from April 26th. Its salvage crews have begun cutting apart the final two sections remaining of the cargo ship that overturned in the coast of Georgia almost two years ago. See? It's been two years. The demolition of South Korean freighter Golden Ray has been underway since November when workers started using a link anchor chain to powered by a towering crane to saw the ship into eight giant chunks. Uh, Malta Agency Command said the final cut to separate the last two sections began last Monday. Previous cuts have taken a little more than a week to several weeks to complete. Demolition efforts were slow early in August when oil gushed from the wreck fouling nearby beaches on the St. Simmons. So I think we're getting to the end of this, I do believe. That's a, that's a nice photo, even though it's an older one. You kind of see all the cars all crammed well, there and have fallen. It shows a lot of stuff that's not there, meaning that's a mm -hmm. remaining section. So just about to the end. The end of yes. the near. Before we know it, it will be over. And then, and I, and I apologize, some of these are, seem to be just a little delayed to me because I did the notes a couple weeks ago and we're getting to them today. But Dutch Springs, uh, which is a scuba diving area in Pennsylvania, has faces murky future as warehouse project looms. So for the fast... This, excuse me, it says for the past four decades, 50 acre lake in Lehigh Valley has been a pillar and lifeblood for the region's scuba diving community. They're saying it may soon be fenced off, a casualty of Pennsylvania's warehouse boom and a proliferation of industrial parks that have increasingly shaped the state's economic and physical landscape. Located two hours north of Philadelphia along the border of Lower Nazareth and Bethlehem Townships, the Northampton County Dutch Springs emerges the remains of the National Portland Cement Quarry at, uh, was that Broadhead? The former limestone mine and cement plant flourished for decades until the operation folded in the mid-1970s, prompting the creation of a unique diving campground, aqua park, and adventure course in a portion of the property. It's our Corribean, if you will, said Dave Barnes, owner of uh, Scubadelphia, a dive center and gear shop, in the Frankfurt neighborhood, whose scuba certification instructors among the busiest in the Delaware Valley, spring-fed from an underground aquifer, the flooded quarry has served an idyllic lake and training grounds for generations of professionals and recreational divers with depths reaching 100 feet in some parts. Dutch Spring is a northeast primary location for dive centers to conduct certifications and hold other outings to keep scuba community connected and growing. Along the floor of the quarry, there are a number of sunken vessels, structures to explore, including Philadelphia trolley car, once used in the nation's bicentennial celebration. They make it sound like that was so long ago. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm showing my age, but I vividly remember the bicentennial. And what are we approaching, uh -huh. 250 years now? Won't be too long. That was uh, 1976 is the bicentennial. Yeah, I said the sunken school buses here, airplanes, jets. There are a lot of different attractions that new divers love. This is very exciting for somebody who's never seen that before. When you take them to an airplane assessment or jet or a trolley, it's a park for divers. That's very cool. So, you know, they're talking about all the stuff. It, it looks to be a great location in the area to go diving. And, it, and for a man-made quarry like that uh they have a hundred foot depth that's that's nice what it doesn't really show is they may have a layout of how they're going to have their warehouses is it possible they could coexist uh there's no kind of pictorials to mm -hmm. show what it is aerial and what they're going to be doing and why part of the yeah. uh and we won't read the whole used. article. We got the links in the show notes, uh, so you can go to it. Uh, and I looked at three other articles, and this is the first one where everybody's kind of like, oh, oh, it's terrible. We're losing the quarry. But the people who are putting in the warehouses don't want the quarry. 
they had to buy all the property. So they're trying to figure out how, the, because if they, they know, and they've admitted in other articles that if they were to just, you know, shut everything down, build their warehouses, they're not going to keep people out of here. That's what they're concerned with. They're concerned with people jumping fences, getting in somehow. Uh, so what, what, they're, what they're trying to do is, is work out deals where this could still stay open. Uh, and uh, one thing was to give this quarry portion to the city or township. And there was some concerns that the township's like, we don't have money to do anything with this. We, we you know, unless somebody's going to come up with a way of funding it, we can't take it on. Yeah. It's a very good article for people to take a look at also, especially if you've got a quarry of your own that you frequent. Could something like this happen? It certainly could because, you know, this, this is, you know, it was a retired concrete place. And it looked like it, it ended up becoming a fairly nice uh, resort area. I mean, I've seen some overhead shots. And it it looks like it's done pretty well, but something that can make more money for whoever happens to own the property is what's taken over. You know, a three hundred thousand square foot industrial building, which is not super giant. I mean, that's kind of one of the buildings I'm in now, which yeah, it's big, but it's not insanely so. To me, when you get it's when you get up to the million square foot where they they start becoming giant. Uh, an average, uh, you know, Walmart Supercenter is going to be over 100,000 square feet. So mm -hmm. and just to kind of give you an idea of, of size. Uh, but they need to build them somewhere. And there's probably some incentives for using what could be brownstone property. But yeah, they really don't want the water part. So they're, they're looking for ways to deal this. Like I said, one of it was working with the local jurisdictions to see if they would take that portion uh, and maybe the other that they have to slice it up and make some sort of commercial entity uh, that can manage it. Did you take a look at the flyover? Uh, not this video? time. I have in the past. I'm looking at it right now and it's like there's a park and a place and I'm trying to figure out where they're going to put this uh, warehouse because there's some huge buildings all around where the access point is for the so divers. So where, where did you where did you see the so flyover? Was that in this really article? Confused. Uh, it's called DutchSprings.com. www. Okay, so I'm not yeah, going to try to I'm post it take a I'll look at it and we'll see. It's worth looking at. It's a nice picture. Then you can see the park area, and that's why I'm trying to figure out where they're going to put the house because right, so there's a lot of I stuff around that. This in frame. So this is from the yeah. So that that's their website. So DutchSprings.com. This is going to be a YouTube video. So if the next part of it is us talking how great the video was, is because YouTube slapped our hands. Or, and I'm going to mute this. Are you hearing the sound? You probably, hopefully you weren't. Yeah. You shouldn't hear mine, but they might in the chat room. Muted so I've, I've, mine. I don't I've, hear yours. I've muted it. Yeah, they're, they're saying the lag's back. So I think it's going to be fine when I, re in the recording, I think you're just, it's YouTube doing its thing. Uh, so here's the flyover. You know what I think they're doing is I think they're going to lose, you're going to lose, uh, Oh, it's oh oh yeah oh yeah. This is this is like very well developed with inflatable. Uh, yeah. So where are they going to put the, the? Well, one of the proposals I saw, they were going to be able to leave part of it, but I I think some of the shore properties are going to end up going away. Uh because you know, that that right there, this first part, you could get three hundred thousand in that. I want to do it again. Let's see what we've got. So 
you're coming like on the right side of that you've already got some warehouses there's the old concrete plant on the right boy these jump cuts people like to do uh, yeah like yeah it's and that's the same brand of the inflatables that they've got there in south haven yeah see right there you could I think that's where one spot's going to be right there and right there again. And then you see property on the right side. It, it, it could be because the one of the things they talked about deeding the, uh, the water and then like another 10 acres and that would be for the park, but they're using much more than that now. So you're, you'd be sacrificing that. Is that concrete mm -hmm. plant still active? It seems like that would be, of course it's expensive probably to rehabilitate that, tear it down, but. Yeah, it's uh, be, it'd be interesting to see what they come up with. And by now they could be. I haven't looked at the articles for about a week or so. But uh, that's kind of sad for Dutch Springs. You know, hopefully it comes out to where diving can remain viable. And the thing with diving is the more other activities you have there, I think the better it is for the sport. Well, it does not look like mm -hmm. diving is the only activity. Yep. It looks like there's fishermen, a park. So plenty oh. of other things that they can be that can happen there. And uh, so of, of course I I'm I'm pretty sure this is the the article that everybody can't wait for. So yeah, the uh and it, it yeah. sometimes when, I, when I'm searching for articles a common thread comes up, and this is snakes having sex with scuba divers, was this week's theme. So venomous sea snakes are trying to have sex with scuba divers, a study finds. Researchers in Australia found that large venomous sea snakes known to approach scuba divers might not be looking to harm the humans. Instead, they're probably interested in mating. Uh, the olive sea snakes who swim towards divers could be experiencing misdirected courtship responses according to a study published this week in the Journal of Science Reports. Rick Shine, a professor at McIntyre University in Sydney, and his co-authors found instances of snakes approaching divers was most common during the species' breeding season between May and August, and most of the snakes who approached humans were males. Some of the male animals in the study also made repeative approaches, spent more time with the diver, exhibited behavior such as coiling around a limb, also seen in courtships. Shine explained to USA Today that male snakes often made their move after losing contact with female snakes or competing with another male. So, so the diver's a consolation prize. <laughs> a very fundamental question. Why are snakes doing something like that? At first sight, it seems really stupid. They can't eat a person if the person's a threat. Why are they attacking them? And of course, they're not attacking at all. They're just looking for a little bit of romance. Shine added that the snakes who approach divers are trying to learn more about their targets and interaction is the real story about the mistaken identity. It's sort of a bit silly that a male can mistake a human being for a female snake. But the reality is snakes are a little bit like dogs. They rely on scent rather than vision. Female olive snakes can grow approximately six feet, according to study. Male snakes of the species are typically smaller. Snakes are venomous, but they're rarely aggressive enough to bite humans while underwater. These things are deadly, they're highly venomous, but if you just hang there in the water and wait for them to check you out, you'll rapidly work it out that they're not interested and they'll go away. So they say it's not you, it's me. Is that, is that what the snakes do? Uh, research is based on data collected from 94 and 95 by Tim Lynch, <laughs> co-authored the study. What, 95? It's like a 25-year-old study. Uh, Kate Sanders, an evolutionary science at the University of Adelaide and co-chair of the International Union of Conservation of Nature Sea Snakes Specialist Group, who was not involved in research, said, I've always expected that the motivation of this behavior is sex. I don't know how you would say it other than that snakes got their own beer goggles on. Their hormones are skewing their behavior. Hmm. Okay. I personally wouldn't like to have those anywhere yeah, near I'm, me. I'm kind of just in case. Open to not run into one. I 
I'd just be curious if it's fangs or teeth, and how deadly if if they did bite you. Let's go. What kind of recourse the great do you have? Book of everything here on the internet, and see if we can find anything out about our friendly olive sea snakes. So we're going to go to Wikipedia. Or if Wikipedia disagrees with your mother, Wikipedia is correct. Uh, conservation status. Yeah, this doesn't help me out at all. Um, see, also snake bite. Uh, they look like ribbon they snakes. Said the females can be six feet. Uh, I like it where it says most commonly found in Australia can be found to 230 feet and grow to six and a half feet long and can be underwater so for two hours. Natural predators are sharks and osprey. Uh, live on the coral reefs, including the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so it feeds on crustaceans, fish, and fish eggs. It uses venom to incapacitate its prey. The snake in particular has venom that contains enzymes which break down the prey from within for easier digestion. The venom also affects both muscles and nerves of the prey. Drop for drop, it's the most toxic sea snake. Oh, there you go. The snake usually hunts in coral reef areas, searches for food by poking its head into crevices. <laughs> I don't recommend humans do that. Uh, creatures usually stay out from the open water hunting, or hunting ground. Uh, they, don't, they don't say much about humans. Well, the divers are not the only ones that are uh, in jeopardy. Uh -huh. Another one from the uh, U.S. News MSN. It gets the quote as sexually frustrated sea snakes mounts man's paddleboard. So kayakers and paddleboarders yes. are also in jeopardy. Well, and then that just tells you that, uh, you know, the, the average man isn't that much more sexually attractive than a board. So... Or oh, like some women are, they're nothing yeah, but snakes anyway, so birds of a feather. Okay, I think we just got uh, about four thumbs down on, on that. So how about we go to something not involving snakes molesting people? Uh, I, I kind of think that maybe when I went to school, I, I had the wrong summer camp. So Lake Erie Shipwreck Camp. Students discover a treasure trove of science. Uh, they can pile into inflatable rafts on the rocky shore of Kelly's Island. Two dozen teen, uh, teens achieve the ultimate goal of summer shipwreck camp, finding either two cargo ships that sank a few hundred yards offshore shore around 1900. The remotely operated vehicle will maneuver around the lake bottom to take video of whether parts of the ship remain. Uh, for two intense weeks in July, the camp through Case Western Reserve University immerses students aged 12 to 16 in the world of shipwrecks to help them explore. Leading up the trip on the lake, students learn how waves work, they taste of scuba diving, learn about searching for debris, artifacts, worked in teams to build several ROVs they hope to guide around the remnants of the ships. Shipwreck Camp is a thinly veiled exposure to Great Lakes science and technology, said James Bader, executive director of uh, Gulf and STEM Center, which runs the camp, and we don't hide it very well. On this day, they have ridden a bus for 80 miles west of the campus, taking the ferry to the island. Hopefully the culmination of that work, the goal of seeing the wreckage of either the scow W.R. Hanna, which sank in 1886 with a load of stone, or the steamer Venture, which sank in 1903 with a load of lime. Both sank a few hundred yards off Kelly's Island, a little over four square miles and about four miles from the Lake Erie shore. A total of nine ships are known to have sunk around the island. 
when the search even this close to shore could be difficult and unsuccessful, even with GPS coordinates and the well-researched wrecks. Even on the best day, I really don't know how visible the wrecks are, so I don't know what their chances are. There's not a lot left of either wreck. Who knows what's happened the last year with sediment and silt. It's a true adventure. And they go on again. Got links in the show notes. Uh, but that sounds like a great program. Yeah, I and I don't believe Absolutely. when I was in school there's anything like that, or my parents hid it from me. <laughs> they didn't. It's like no, you're not going. But very cool. That ROV looks like they they uh, spent some time putting that together. A search launch for historic ship that vanished off Florida after a 1942 U-boat st strike. The sinking of the SS Norlindo has all the elements of a good mystery, including World War II intrigue, prowling German U-boats, and a handful of crewmen who were never seen again. It has been 79 years since Germany's U-507 torpedoed the unarmed steamship, and its whereabouts remain a puzzle. That could change in the next two weeks, however. The expedition is backed by NOAA Ocean Explorational Focus on 36 square nautical miles off Dry Torgus, a group of islands about 60 miles west of the Florida Keys. And they said that's where Norlindo was last seen, standing vertically in the waters that sank with men still aboard. As a first armed allied casualty, the German U-boat campaign in the Gulf of Mexico uh, during World War II, Norlindo is historically significant, potentially eligible for nomination, National Register of Historic Places, Marine Archaeologist and team member Meline Demore, Old McClatchy News. The shipwreck is also a war grave and represents the final resting place for men and her crew. If the team finds a wreck, it intends to keep the location secret from the world. NOAA Ocean Exploration Reports. Oh, gosh, doesn't that get you riled up? Yeah, I don't... So, do we open the debate on hiding numbers? I mean, you put the effort in, you get to decide, but I believe NOAA is publicly funded. So, are we okay with them taking our tax dollars and then finding something and saying, oh, no. We won't share that. Yeah. Well, of course, it's government. Yeah, they got the money. Well, they want your yeah, money. I don't, I don't know if I'm too happy about that. They put that. So, for, so World War II war grave. That that's what it takes. That's that what. Uh, How deep was it? Mm -hmm. I said. Uh, I'm going to guess it's going to be fairly shallow. Uh, they don't give us depth. I was trying to get some information on the boat to see what vintage it is. I think that's a 1939 boat. Back in the day, uh, when I was diving commercially, I went to a conference down in New Orleans and one of the topics, closed door type, certain people invited, is some group had found a German submarine. But it was a newer vintage, meaning the late 40s, meaning 44, 45. And the interest was, was it the type that had oh. mercury as ballast? Okay. Yeah. Because they were looking at it from one aspect of, one, what was it covering or carrying? Why was it there? And what is salvageable? Was it the mercury alone? And or was that the kind of cargo that was going to Argentina? I was never able to be part of that conversation, mm -hmm. but it was very interesting to listen to them. Well, very cool. Uh, that's why I was curious how yeah, deep it was. Yeah, they, they're going to hide that from us. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News this week. A little, a little bit of a shorter uh, list. 
we're going to try and keep them a little bit shorter, I think, going forward. Um, it gives us some time to work on some other projects. Let's see. So let's go ahead and talk about some diving real quick. Uh, it's been a few weeks. Uh, we had Jim on the show for the last recorded episode. Uh, thank and like to thank Jim for coming on. That was that was nice. Uh, I enjoyed seeing his video and Karen's video of the dives they've got in. It just just shows you some of the things you can do. And then that new discovery of the anchor. What did you think of that? There's, if you look at the side scan shot and then you find out what it actually is, that really should give you the enthusiasm that when you're out there scanning on Lake Michigan and you get those big bumps on the bottom, they're worth making a yeah. note of. So it would have been out. worth somebody taking some time and stopping in and, and saying, yeah, I want to I see what that is. And there's times when we got the side Absolutely. scan, the, the ones that I, that kind of are aggravating is you see it on the scanner and you go, oh, there's something. And then you turn around and go back and you can't ever find it again. Yep. Well, at the last dive meeting, uh, Kevin Hales put together a little presentation on techniques of side scanning, different types of uh, items that are available from hummingbird, garment to heavy duty professional. And uh, probably the key item is the frequencies and thermal lines and how it can radiate and redirect your pattern that you are actually missing lots of the bottom that you thought you were covering. So uh, going to those kind of classes that tell you what to do, how to do it, and uh, areas, mm -hmm. you know, they, Items they learn the hard way. It's worthwhile doing that. Yeah, Going it's to those good to learn. And you know, let, let other people to make make the mistakes, and then you can stand on their shoulders and and do some good things. Uh, used to watch a program yeah. on TV, and they would take somebody who was a complete novice in a subject, and then they would pair them up with somebody who was an expert in the field. And they would, they had a week, and then they would put that person in front of a team of judges to see if they could fool them into believing, because they would take them and then, so for example, say it was world-class chef. So you had somebody who had never cooked, and then you wanted them to be a world-class chef. Uh, so you did the training real intense for a week, and then you had other two, two other people who were just like chefs. And then this... Uh, judges would have to pick out which one was the one who'd only been doing it a week. And they did it on like horseback riding, you know, like equestrian and things. And what was interesting was with somebody who's an expert in their field, how quickly somebody can get up to a, I'm not even going to say a average proficiency, but of above average proficiency. You know, there's something that, that quality of the instruction and of the level the person who's training you is, is it's hard to beat. So, yeah, let's let's learn from who we can. So, wow. have, have we heard of anybody getting any diving in? I know we had a little bit of a rain spell there, uh, which kind of filled the, the rivers up with a little bit of brown. I think I've got an oh, excellent dive since well, let's hear it. we talked. What'd you find? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, actually, uh, I purchased at a very nice price from. Yeah, I. I uh, yeah, I. I, I you she mentioned her, it. <laughs> her metal detector, and I spent some. I spent some time over at Forest Beach, and then I went ahead to Outlet Bay, and uh, I've oh. got six or seven rings. Mm. Um, one diamond. One with an emerald. And, satanic. Uh, one satanic <laughs> ring. Wow. Got to be a guy's that would fit on my freaking thumb. So the guy's hands must be huge. So 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 what's the address that, of Mac's uh, jewelry store? <laughs> I 
Well, remember, I, I don't really stand much of a chance for that for any of the, anything I metal detect, because the wife gets the diamonds, the elder gets the silver, the younger gets the. Well, I take that back. The elder gets the the gold, younger gets the silver. I get all the copper, and they said that's only fair because there's so much more copper I get than the diamonds, gold, and silver. Uh, now that's yeah, true, I, I think value wise, really I think you're you're missing skewed. out a t little bit. I doubt you get enough copper to overcome the yeah. <laughs> that. <laughs> so, never, never. I mean, even if I yeah. got the rusty metal, I'm still not getting anywhere. But I come home, and they always, it's like, there's the see, it's, All of a sudden, you're you interesting when you're bringing home jewelry. <laughs> well, good. Yeah, when you're walking That's home, great, because that, there's, there's nothing like finding stuff like that. How, how well has it been? Has it been pretty obvious when you're running a detector over an, an item that you... I, I don't discriminate. I, I dig up everything, metal, pull tabs, because you do pull up a lot of other interesting items, uh, parts of weapons, anchors, old parts of motors. Uh, I mean, you're, you're out there and you suddenly pull up a whole piston rod assembly. It's like, <laughs> what is that doing out there? Uh, the nice part, though, is, and if you're out there metal detecting and, you know, you say, I'm going to go on a piling or a pier where people swim. Look at the old pictures and look where all these people were at swimming. They didn't have docks and piers. So what I've been doing is I go from knee deep to maximum five feet deep. Wow. I'm getting over two, two hours. hours That's pretty good. That's an 80 then. And almost every single ring I found at the last, the last five, minutes five minutes of the dive. Yeah. Huh. Odd. Yep. Uh, I think last week was probably the nicest I have seen the Niles River in months and months and months. Uh, I won't say unlimited visibility. I'll say 10, 14 feet. No suitor. Didn't need a suit. And no current. So you said high noon, we have a high noon in Niles? This Saturday. Saturday. Uh, yep. Uh, down at Riverview Park. We had been talking mm -hmm. about going doing a uh, drift dive from up at yep. Merrimont, or not Merrimont, but uh, by the dam, all the way through. You know, <laughs> you need about a 200 cubic foot tank because I'm always stopping to find something. Like the last time I stopped at uh, yes. the Riverview Park, switched tanks with you, and got yeah. 100, I think, from you, so I could finish the dive. So much for don't don't stop and look for stuff, just drift and look at the good stuff. Oh, and um, I did do some video. Turned out good. pretty good, but I didn't post anything yet. So hopefully, I, I've been taking a look weekends. at the weather to see what it's calling for. And then, yeah, as long as it's not lightning, it's yeah, I don't mind good. if it rains. I just Besides, don't, you're gonna get I just don't want anyway. the rain three inches two hours beforehand. And then it's going to be a little. Yeah, I'm imagining yeah. viz would be poor. And I think, oh. yeah, I, I do believe somebody saw a lamprey last week, uh, which is good to know because I had talked to uh, DNR slash Coast Guard, and they had already uh, treated th that area, and they wanted to be informed if we were finding any kind of invasive species. Okay. So did somebody and contact them and let them know? Well, it's one of those, yeah, I had a sighting, but mm -hmm. uh, that's why I took the camera. I was really trying to get a picture or get a picture of a salmon or yeah. something with the marks on them. But uh, it's good. always good to make the reports from because I like to know that. Well, and it's nice. Uh, the, the more value we can be to other people who have interest in the water, uh, the better chance we have of working with them. Yeah. Well, I had done some work with them a couple of weeks ago, getting the uh, crack of muscle and deeper muscle samples. 
she was doing a presentation up in South Haven. They needed some fresh. She doesn't like to use frozen stuff. She likes to use the real current items. So she takes them home, serves for the plankton, feeds them so they're aggressive. And really? See, so I was kind of wondering when I had heard about it, what they were doing with them. Yeah, well, did you see the picture I posted a couple of years ago? Uh, I went to the one up at, um, they have an air show at Waterville. She was there because that's where kids come, where's the airplanes. So they did a presentation with lampreys. So I'm up there holding two lampreys like this. It's like yeah. the kind of stuff yeah. I don't want to find in the water. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, it's right on the cheek. I can see that. How about that the now. forehead? It's a hell of a hickey. Yeah, right there. Or an eyeball. Ooh, there you go. That'd be a bad spot. Yeah. Remember, we don't have sharks. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I, what I'd want to do, and I was hoping Jim would be available, but I think he wants to go up north, is uh, you know that little special area we found about five years ago that you haven't been back since. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Has it been Milk five years area? ago? Oh, yeah. It's been five years. Because I remember the two big boats that I'd found back there. I want to go back if it's going to be good viz. See if I can get some videos of those big boats. And you saw yeah, the pictures of the uh, yep. shoreline canoe, didn't you? So yeah, Karen is saying uh, uh, the river was great. I got of. caught some current, ended up uh, past the railroad bridge. Yep, Jim, I, th I think Jim mm -hmm. went down there to give her some assistance to get back. But I'm not sure. Um, I think she had the more keepers. Uh, he's forever bringing back the damn heavy <laughs> stuff. I mean, she had two big anchors. Yeah. One was a homemade, looked like a disc like this. Must have weighed 30 pounds. So she's always bringing back that kind of stuff. Last time I think we had one of those, I'm watching her come in, trudging, like, what the heck is she doing? She had a freaking motor. So she's got a motor under here, dragging her other stuff. Die hard, die hard. Okay. Well, I mean, God, the last summer of, you know, not the last summer. Uh, and I, and I, I'm, what I'm trying to do is, is correct myself because I always like to feel that. Labor Day is like the last week in the summer, but I know it goes longer. But mentally, that's the summer holiday season is ends in Labor Day. So nice three-day weekend for many people. Be able to get some stuff going yep. on. Yeah, we had a request oh, for really? doing another dive on uh, Monday because of that. Yep. Uh, some of the SAS group wanted to come down and hit the river, especially since it's been so nice. So they said, please post. Yeah, so it'd be I don't nice know to have some people Saturday. maybe from who we don't normally get to dive with. Well, they did Lake 16, uh, the Thursday, Thursday dive, or the Tuesday dive. And uh, this coming Tuesday, I believe it's going to be the Piers. Tentatively, it's Tuscornia. Pier, the North Pier, uh, and on the wave action, it can switch over to the South Pier. Well, do you have a dive safety story for us this week? Ah. Well, I got a pop quiz first. I'll just go over that, and then you tell me. Okay. An overweight diver in poor physical condition returns to diving after a hiatus of several years. Pulls out his old gear off the shelf in the garage, hops, hops on a dive boat, and attempts to dive on a current-swept reef at 80 feet. Anxious and struggling for much of the dive, he burns through his air supply at an alarming rate. On servicing, his tank is nearly empty. The startled diver he made a rapid, hardly controlled ascent to the surface and suffered a fatal air embolism. The question is, so what caused that accident? Well, there's four general reasons that account for many dive fatalities. And when I mentioned that scenario, if somebody was looking at it and you said, well, what caused it? It says everything he did, there's no one item that did it. It was everything. And any one of them 
could have resulted in the same fatality. So basically, if you said A, meaning answered all of the above in the scenario, composite of the accidents, it's really a composite of accidents found in the annual report from Dan, Diver Alert Network. It illustrates fatal dive accidents often have multiplied and have complex root causes. While each accident may be different, and some of them occur in an instance, most accidents can be representative as a chain of multiple events that lead to a deadly outcome. Removing any link from that chain may change the outcome. Based on a general look at dive fatalities around the world, there are four general contributing factors that lead to fatal dive accidents. And number one is poor diver health. Almost any pre-existing medical condition or health factor can affect a diver's safety. Common examples, being overweight, heart disease, high blood pressure, breathing difficulties, temporary or chronic, general lack of fitness, pre-existing injuries, dehydration. Biggest contributing factor involves divers with a body mass index in the overweight or the morbidly obese overweight category. Today, diving is open to people with a host of medical conditions that a decade ago would have prohibited them from participating in the sport. However, if you have one of these conditions, it's important that you have your health regularly monitored, that you can monitor and maintain your medical situation properly, your health. Treated and controlled high blood pressure does not create the risk factors as uncontrolled high blood pressure. Uh, temporary health conditions like colds, severe allergies can also be problematic. Whether permanent or temporary health conditions can impede your ability to be alert, to recognize and respond to environmental conditions. An otherwise safety dive can go to heck in the handbasket really quick. Even after you recover from your illness, chronic conditions can really be back in the background that can create issues that you didn't realize. Your cough may be gone, but may take time for your chest congestion to clear. Rushing into the water before you're physically able to breathe deep can leave you starved for air, which can lead to panic. Procedural errors. Procedural errors common to vaccines include buoyancy, control problem, sense, compression, general skill limitations, equalization issues, and number one, most critically, failing to properly monitor air supply, resulting in low or on air or out of air situations. And we preach over and over and over, if you got air, you got time. If it would end out, you know, you abort the dive. You carry that bailout air. You got air, you've got time to control something going on. The out of buoyancy control, totally different issue because that means you had too much air and usually in your BC or your dry suit. The other aspect of lack of diving experience or skills in compensating for an unplanned event, such as, well, my regulator just quit breathing. I did have overinflation, suit or BC. Those are the items you got to practice and most people do not. Uh, environmental issues, that's the other aspect. The weather, dive conditions. Uh, open water environments can change rapidly, especially if they're unprepared, out of practice, physically incapable of adapting to the changes. Big number item, current. That'll kick your butt even in the river. If you're not used to it and you suddenly get into the fast current and you're already tired, low on air, it can lead to panic and rapid ascent, caught in the current, you don't do proper buoyancy control, those are the items that can kill you. Uh, equipment problems, actually they're the least items that happen. They account for fewer fatalities than any of the other reasons, generally because they're predictable, and you usually have a clue that something's going on, like your regulator is leaking before you go in, your BC yeah, hose is leaking me? before you go in. Darren. <laughs> I have never. Yeah. You 
And again, that happened to me this year. I had a rupture of the BC hose. You couldn't see it. You didn't feel it till you're in the water, tried to put air in it. It didn't work. Well, that's why we always practice, you know. Does it work before you go in? So the key item is don't be a statistics. And they say seven tips for avoiding accidents. Dive within the limits of your training. You know, if you've never taken a wreck or a cave or a cabin class, you shouldn't be going into a wreck, a cavern, or a cave. Not to mention the experience, but if you don't have the equipment, you're setting yourself up. Make sure you have the right gear. Make sure, you know, that's exposure for one. If you're in real cold water, you really need to be prepared and have a dry suit and have the proper training for the dry suit. So your life support equipment should be properly maintained and serviced and inspected before the dive. And like we always say, check it before you get into the deeper water. For a shore dive, it's a lot easier to do that. Once you fall off that boat, if you didn't check it before you went in, you know, you're out of luck. Practice your safety skills. You know, practice that buddy breathing. Either, you know, handing them your, your spare octopus or one-on-one -on -one buddy breathing. Do it on your downline, but plan it, practice it. Uh, get rescue certified so you're aware of somebody else's issue. You might be able to see them getting into a situation and can stop it before it progresses to something life-threatening. Uh, common one, stay in shape. If you've got any kind of medical illness, if you've had COVID, you really might want to check out a real good lung x-ray before you go diving again. And again, stay within your personal safety envelope. When in doubt, don't. And again, as uh, at the club, we always say, anybody can call a dive at any time for any reason, going to say a word about it. Mm -hmm. You know, none of this peer pressure. And that's the word for the night. Don't let somebody go to you into doing something you're not comfortable with. And on the flip side, you're the experienced diver. Don't get that other guy in trouble because you can handle it. He might not be able to. So were those, were, those are good. That's my Now, were they in the any night. particular order? They were not really. Uh, the key item was, again, the gear was not generally it. It was physical fitness of the individual and getting to a situation mm -hmm. they were not prepared for, meaning environments are not trained for, and fast currents, unexpected currents, and something happened that created another yeah. chain. Because the one thing is if you're going to have a health situation and then stress or activity or something else makes it worse, then you're going to discover it when you're scuba diving. Well, like the one I think we covered a couple of weeks ago, they had a nice dive. Yeah. They came up. They're on the surface. The boat's gone. Mile and a half swim. They're tired. Wave action is up. It's a real oh, pain yeah. in the butt. You've swam with we, your suit, swim of shame. <laughs> your tanks out of air. It's like, that's not a lot of fun. If you've got a current going against you and you're getting up in age like myself, that's not going to be a fun time. Yeah. I'll say, send the boat back because I'm going to float. And you have to be careful because part me. of it is, is it, uh, <coughs> excuse me, becomes a stressful situation. So you're, you're physically being stressed, but then you're also mentally yeah. stressed. But health, I think, has to be probably one of the number one causes. Yeah. And this is not looking at numbers. This is just from years of listening and as I'm going to guess that that your health condition, if we, if we hear of somebody dying, diving, that's kind of one of the first things you think about. You know, did they have a heart attack? Did they have a stroke? Did they have some other underlying condition? Uh, and then it starts becoming, you know, diving outside your your experience. You know, were they doing a, a cave dive? Were they doing a penetration? Were they doing a deep dive that they didn't have the proper training for or prepared for? Uh, kind of comes in into play there. So good. Another good one.
Well, the funny thing is, it's it's items we see all the time, especially with newbies. And sometimes somebody who are not quite so new, but they're trying a new, or uh, they're trying to increase their abilities, mm-hmm. and they don't have a good uh, mentor at that time. And you get two guys trying to do the same thing who don't have the experience. You're uh, really uh, looking for chat trouble. Chat room is saying Dan saw the lamprey. So that's who saw the lamprey in the dive. And then uh, Jim is unable to go north this weekend. So said he couldn't go. Yeah. Oh, me. Might see him this weekend then. Let's see. Uh, you got anything you want to plug before we get on out of here? Uh, not really. Club meeting's coming back mm-hmm. up again, so... At least we now have a place to meet uh, down at the Benton Harbor Airport there in the lobby. If we have a smaller group, we adjourn to a different room so we don't have quite the echo. I think we may be having okay. T-shirts. Excellent. So we'll know before the next meeting for sure. Yeah, I'll get a, a few more <laughs> and in. I might draw a few people. Uh, I've gone to robotics yes, meeting yep. four nights a week. <laughs> well, uh Getting crazy again, but I may be able to, if I get enough uh, support, skip out early on uh, dive club meeting nights. And we went to the, yeah, we went to oh, the that, uh, that's Mexican a, that's a good one, which is right on downtown. I should make a lot of people week. happy because it's got uh, and, uh, a variety of beverages. So the, the people who like tea can have tea and those who want something a little stiffer. And opt for that route. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did go there. It was interesting. Uh, and it wasn't really crowded. Uh, I think everybody who went either did the social distancing, mm-hmm. even though everybody's had the shots. We don't know where everybody is. Because, you know, Wolves had a, a big issue with that. They were closed down. And they're restricted hours now. Because uh, I was going to say I'm, I'm laughing, but I really shouldn't. Uh, it's it's been tough for for many places. You know, even taking what they thought were proper cautions, it, it has bled through in some cases. And it's hard. You don't have enough people now to service it full day. Yeah. They're, the they're restaurant doing half industry days or something has like had that, that problem. I mean, they're already short on staff, and then yeah. You have more than just one or two, and it really, yeah, it's a cramp in things, at least in the schedule. Yep. Well, I think we are to that time of the show then. And I am digging the bottom of the barrel here, but uh, before the program, I don't know if it's going to make it into it. We were talking, I was, I was mentioning how old I feel. So some of these, so some of these jokes may be, uh, <laughs> appropriate so the the first one is a reporter was interviewing a 104 year old woman and uh what do you think the best thing is about being 104 the reporter asked and she simply replied no peer pressure and that kind of went with the the dive safety story too yeah uh yeah yeah let's see here let's um Okay, some I'm gonna go through. So luckily, I'm gonna chop some of this out. But of course, <laughs> oh, here, here's one. An old woman asks an old man at the rest home, "Can I guess your age?" The man doesn't believe her, but he tells her to go ahead and try. She says, "Well, pull down your pants." She says. She inspects his rear in a few minutes and then says, you're 84 years old. That's amazing, says the man. How did you know? Oh, you told me yesterday. Uh, Maybe, the, uh, or just uh, as part of a research project. Uh, uh. <laughs> oh, boy asks his granny. Have you seen my pills? They were labeled LSD. His granny replies, 
Forget the pills. Have you seen the dragon in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's associated with brownies or something, isn't it? <laughs> I used to hate weddings. The old deers would poke at me and say, you're next. I stopped saying that when I said the same thing to them at funerals. <laughs> <laughs> so on yeah. that note, you go bad. out there and get wet. And stay safe.